0: Hey, what is going on everybody and welcome to Listen Money Matters. Don't live a champagne life on a beer budget. <laughs> my name is Thomas and I'm here as always with my good friend Andrew. Andrew how are you and what are you drinking dude?
1: I'm good. I'm drinking a cappuccino stout because it has been a long day and I need some coffee in my beer. Um, you still drinking it? <laughs> I'm, yes. I'm I have like I've been sl- talking to you
0: for like four hours and you haven't gotten up so.
1: Yeah, I'm still drinking it. We were This was supposed to make it through three episodes, but it's really just a
0: one-bomber-an-episode uh, deal now. So, Well, some days technology just fails utterly, and today is one of those days. <laughs> oh. I know. <laughs> what are you drinking, man? I, I have decided to join you um, and not drink kale juice today. Yes. Like my usual, uh, my drink of choice. Today I'm doing a, a Sour Monkey from Victory Brewing. I don't know where they're from. I'm not sure if you've seen it, but I, I don't have know. not
1: had the sour from victory. Is it good?
0: Yeah, it's awesome. It looks like it's brewed in Pennsylvania. So, I bet you you could probably find it in your neck of the woods. You know, I uh, I'm starting to like sours basically like more than any other beer at this same. point. Same.
1: Laura hates them. She can't understand why I like them. It's it's like very like I don't know, and like an eclectic taste. It's like so different, but uh mm-hmm.
0: It's good. Oh, dude, I was hanging out with my mom uh, a little while ago, and so we go to this rooftop bar in Des Moines, and my mom's not used to, like, the fancier bars, anything beyond, like, a Budweiser. Mm. So she just orders, like, a, she's like, just give me something simple, like a Budweiser, and the bartender's like, I'm gonna give you a little bit fancier, wheat beer, <laughs> and she's like, well, this is good, and I'm like, oh, I want the sour, She's like, what's that? And she tastes it and just like winces so hard. (laughs) She's like, why would you ever drink this? So it takes some getting used to. Mm. But once you do, man, it's just, it's so good. And regular beer just doesn't quite do it for me anymore. No. Anyway, guys, we have a guest today on the show. Uh, His name is Wes Chapman. And uh, we want to chat with Wes about essentially getting over the victim mentality which I think a lot of people have when it comes to their finances, and it kind of limits what they think they can do, uh, whether or not they think they can get out of debt, or whether or not they think they can reach a certain level of financial independence. I think that's an issue that comes through in a lot of the emails we get and a lot of things we hear from listeners. And Wes has an awesome story to tell that isn't necessarily about finance, but that I think has a lot of applications
2: to personal finance. So, hey, Wes, welcome to the show. Hey, guys, it's an g- honor to be on here. Let's. And as an audience member for a minute, it was kind of fun. Your banter back and forth about uh, your drinks of choice.
0: Yeah. You know, I don't think there are many other podcasts that do the intro with the guest on the line. And sometimes I'm like a little bit anxious that the guest is just sitting there like waiting for us to be done. But I'm glad that it it, it felt like being an audience member to you for a little bit.
2: Yeah, it's uh, no, it's it's great. It's, uh, it's a different thing for sure. I've done quite a few interviews and you guys are the first to to do it in this way and I mean whatever on the whole like making you sit there that's not a big deal but just uh kind of the starting off with what you drink and things kind of fun it's a good like sort of cold open I think
1: we we don't don't want to take ourselves too seriously
0: yeah Wes so you you run this thing called a human project and part of that is these camps that you run where you have youth come out and basically disconnect from like all technology right
2: yeah we give a, a little cleansing period to kind of make them figure out and you know you guys use a very interesting word success and i'm on a mission to redefine that but mm-hmm. the uh you know just having them talk about stress and and happiness and and all these different things that are going on in their lives and where they're where they're obtaining that from and a lot of the things that we do with youth can be applied right to adults in fact many adults are just their Eight year old version of themselves, you know, stuck in an adult body, whether that's good or bad. And too many external factors are, are pressuring them into making decisions, whether, you know, whether you talk about entrepreneurs and business and uh, metrics that you're looking at or data sheets. And what's really exciting is once, and, and I really do feel there's two different types of business owners, and I've been on both sides of it, so I can be speak to it there's those that are trying to be successful in the in the metrics of success and then there's those that have obtained success and what's really interesting is is those that are trying to be successful rely so heavily on the metrics like this is this is it this is where it is those that have become successful realize they could have been successful so much quicker and without the loss of hair Mm. um, by not paying so much attention to the metrics but working on the not even the self-limitations. I think there's too much conversation put on your weaknesses and not enough conversation put on your strengths. So mm-hmm. it's interesting, you know. I get to hang out with guys like Robert Hirschovac and Gary Vaynerchuk, and you know all the big names that are fun and fancy and, and are doing great things. But even the people that you haven't heard of that are running, you know, Fortune 100 companies, and the similarity in all of them are they wish they would have done X, Y, Z sooner. And usually, what X, Y, Z is, is not be so obsessed. With the metrics and the conversations and conversions, but focusing more on their strengths. Stop, you know, trying to hide their inadequacies through whatever, and and it's just funny how money follows you. Just kind of taking a breath and disconnecting, and so we do that with youth because it just gives them an upper edge in life moving forward at a much faster space. space. And you know, children love to play in the dirt and and play with blocks, but we've just kind of forced them that this is the world we live in. So play with this computer screen and everything will be all right. Yeah.
0: I remember going outside and just playing in the dirt a lot more than, I don't know, than I I see kids doing these days. I guess that would be an interesting string to pull on right away.
2: What are your thoughts on social media as a whole? As a whole, I think it's amazing. As a whole, sure. I think it's one of the greatest things that we've we've created as a species: uh, the ability to connect, the ability to share ideas, the the ability to take your gifts and share them with the world, and then you know be rewarded monetarily, um, and also be rewarded in like seeing people change. The ability to connect with you know friends and family. I think all of that is beautiful and it's amazing. But just, I mean. I was an Internet, you know, baby boomer, if you will, of like, I guess baby boomer is the wrong word, but like I was I remember going online for the very first time and I started companies online before starting companies online was a cool thing to do. Like I've I had a 286, you know, in my in my home and was tinkering and and writing programs in MS-DOS like I've been in this world for a very, very long time. And I have seen how positive and amazing it can be from our technology advancements in war, our technology advancements in, you know, in healthcare, just seeing all the positives. But then just like with the internet, you know, and, and all the issues now we have with pornography and child slavery and all these things, I mean, there's always good and bad. And so with social media, while it's incredibly powerful, it's also an addictive it's 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 addictive. It's a cocaine in its own right, and mm-hmm. people have I, I've seen it. I've seen people fall into the swipe addiction, and and it's not just the action of swiping, but what's it's the mental conversations and and the lack of fortitude that it creates. You become so dependent on certain aspects, and you compare yourself. I think that's one of the biggest detriments to a business is comparison, and again, that goes back to metrics. So. I think it's insanely positive. Uh, there's a lot more good than bad, but I think that we're being a little bit too naive to some of the bad that's surrounding social media.
0: Yeah, you know, I th- I often think it's because of social media that we we hear so much more about things like depression and, and chronic stress and things like this and suicide. And I'm not sure. Maybe you can tell me: is this a problem that is growing? Um, in a way that outpaces the the population growth? Or is is it a problem that we just haven't heard as much about because we didn't have access to social media and all these networks that Mm. give us access to so many more parts of the world?
2: So the PR answer is, you know, it's always been there and it's just now being exposed, blah, blah, blah. That's the PR answer. The real answer is, we're just becoming a bunch of wussies. And I and I mean that <laughs> with like the deepest empathy towards people who truly do have clinical depression. Like, listen, I'm a massive advocate. If you're going to judge me off one statement, then, you know, you can go do whatever with your life. I don't care. But it, it it's the reality is, is that we've just become a civilization of wusses and we're is depression real? Yes. Does it exist? Yes. Is it on the is it on the on the rise? Yes. Is it being diagnosed more? Yes. Is it necessarily that it's actual depression being diagnosed more? My personal opinion is no, um, because clinical actual depression requires chemical rebalancing in the body, and we don't have that many based on the numbers of diagnoses, based on you know just the numbers of population. It, it's not a. It's not adding up. Um. It's just yeah. not. And I think that there's, it's it's kind of like saying, you know, are there more entrepreneurs than there used to be? There's a lot of people who want to be entrepreneurs, but just because you say you want to be an entrepreneur it doesn't make you an entrepreneur. It doesn't make you a business owner. It makes you an attempt to be that, and that's awesome. But you know. It's it's not that unicorns exist in the entrepreneurial world. It's that entrepreneurs exist in the entrepreneurial world. And what I mean by that is, yes, there are some that are going to blow up and are going to have great successes and are going to do crazy things like the Snapchats and the Instagrams. But the actual people who are building businesses, the bloodline, you know, of this country. They they are building businesses and they know the cycle. They know that they may not get paid for three payrolls and they gotta pay all their employees. They know that they might have like a huge increase in profits one quarter and the next quarter, you know, it's it flatlines. Like business is a roller coaster ride. And those that have been doing it for fifty or a hundred years, you know, with families, they they know the ride. And now it's kind of like this buzzword that we throw out there, being an entrepreneur, owning a business. Just because you say you are doesn't mean you are. And same with any of this other stuff, with depression or anxiety or any, Just because somebody says, oh, you're having a really bad month, and so, yep, you're depressed, or, oh, yep, you have anxiety, it's not necessarily mean that you have a permanent diagnosis or you have it. You may just be having a really bad time. And because yeah. we have this like insane ability to get on a camera and and talk about our personal lives and like whine about it and then get a lot of attention for it, It it manufactures more of that because human beings need attention. But the thing that I'm afraid of it it wasn't
1: as easy for me because my parents weren't the billionaires. Uh, You know, they couldn't send me to Harvard like Bill Gates. Or you know, I (laughs) graduated college and I had debt. And all the people that are successful have you know had zero when they graduated. Isn't that true though? That you know.
2: You know, I wish that was true, but that's, that's not, um, it's, it is, you know, again, and I know you're, you're just kind of talking about it, but it's this. it's true. That is what people give as an excuse, but again, peeling back the curtain of reality based on the curtain of media, uh, you know, the crisis news network exists because it it's there to make us all feel like shit's falling apart and we have to be, you know, glued to this story and and what is glued to the story mean? Eyeballs on on that particular medium. What does eyeballs on that medium mean? Advertising dollars. It's not really a complicated formula. And so to sit here and talk about you know the Bill Gates and the Mark Zuckerbergs, yeah, that's their story. But there's a plethora of other people who. I mean, I was just hanging out with a guy yesterday who's worth three hundred and fifty million dollars, and he didn't. He barely graduated high school, never went to college, and lives in a town with seven thousand people. So you know, it, it's there are. And when you really get into it and you get into, you know, the not the showy entrepreneur and I'm not putting them down, like, don't don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about the L.A. entrepreneur who runs, you know, the next Snapchat like that's cool. Good on them. But that is such a a minority of the majority. And when you're running a business, a service based business or a business online or whatever it may be, you can be making really good money and you you may not have all those criteria. And I mean. Just even more so, myself is, is an example of that. I mean, I, I don't really care how much we get into my personal story. There's a ton of it out. I'll just give you a very like, much want to get into notes. your
1: personal story.
2: Okay, cool. So, you know, th- but the cliff notes are is like, I didn't have a dad. I, I lived in a freaking, you know, ditch. Like, I, I mean, you can't sit here and tell me that if I don't have pedigree, I can't have success. But I know that so many people look at that because that's what they're... You know, because Mark Zuckerberg is really, really entertaining. Like Mark Cuban yeah. is really, really entertaining. Like there's Gary Vaynerchuk is really entertaining. And yes, they all had these like upper hand, you know, scenarios in their lives. But they're just the entertaining ones that get put on the on the boob tube. Like there are a plethora of others who are just hard working, you know, risk taking individuals who are are doing just as well, if not, maybe even more you know successful in aspects of their lives so again i think we're just fed a story we think it's reality we make decisions based on that reality and it's not necessarily the truth and when you sit down and you have lunch or dinner or a 15-minute conversation you start to realize that even they understand that their their reality isn't reality That they had to do things that were different.
1: I feel like we're making this weird reality because you see, you know, and and Mark Zuckerberg or or Bill Gates or whomever are these like shiny examples of like the pinnacle of like what you can quote unquote achieve, I guess if it's related to money, but you're seeing like the PR version of them and then you wake up in the morning and you see yourself naked in the mirror with all of your flaws and all the things that suck aren't going your way. And I think that we forget to realize that they also are just people that put their pants on like we do and have all kinds of weird, mm-hmm. nuanced, effed up things. Um, it, it, I think it's like unfair to compare that way
2: and And yet everybody does, right? Mm-hmm. And yet everybody does. and everybody wants the seven secrets, uh, you know, of successful people and and again, Every I think what we have to really realize is what's the definition of success. And I don't think there is a global definition of success. I don't. I think that it's an individual one to one scenario. It is not like your success, Andrew, is completely different than mine. Thomas, your success is completely different than mine. Like just even in this in this little circle we've created of three dudes talking about whatever, like we all have different definitions of success. And that's awesome. And so I think the first thing yeah. you have to do is realize that when you say successful people, that's a really ambiguous term. Like cuz what does that even mean? Like
0: Yeah, a it, lot of times it's and, and again
2: I think Yeah, and I think too many people get stuck in it and when they get stuck in it, they they create these patterns of defeat which then ultimately affect the bank account which then you know it's like becomes this vicious cycle. And in reality, it's like let's just all take a moment. Let's just pause for a second and fucking figure out. Like, oh, I, sorry, I don't know if this is a clean show or not. We know not uh, a, you a clean know, let's show. Just, okay, <laughs> it's a very right. dirty. So show. It, it, <laughs> then I did it. But you know, it's just like here, here we are. Like, let's just take a minute and breathe and actually figure out what what do we deem as success individually, and yeah. then go out there and fig- and reverse engineer how we're going to get there.
0: So I have something i really want to ask you about with regards to the internet culture and social media and some of the work that you do we have these external mes- metrics and these um these visions of successful people but also something that i wonder about and i'm often afraid to wonder about this because i don't know if my own perspective uh from a privileged position whatever that means um can taint this but i feel like the the connection we have to so many other people enables us to take certain experiences we've had on a short time scale and extrapolate those in order to put ourselves into categories where we may not actually need to be or that could limit us in the future. So and this the reason I'm afraid to talk about this is because like I know people who have watched videos on YouTube of other people talking about their experiences and realized, "Oh my gosh, I have this mental illness." This explains so much in my life. This is literally a <laughs> yeah. thing, and then they go get diagnosed, and it's a, a real thing. But is it is it not it's possible Google-itis. that there, right? Yeah, is it not possible that there there are also people out there who who watch these same kind of uh, videos? They think, "Wow, I've had that same experience in in my life. I must have that mental illness." And then they go the rest of their lives telling themselves, "I am in this box with these limitations because I watched that video that told me I was so I can't do that." Because from an entrepreneurial Perspective, I've had times where I failed in my life uh, in a business sense. And it would have been so easy to say, well, I guess I'm just not the kind of person who can uh, make a viral video on YouTube and get an audience or who can actually sell a product because I failed once. And it would be so easy to tell myself, like, I'm in that category of people who's just not good at sales, quote unquote, or not good at connecting with people naturally, quote unquote, because of certain experiences. I just wonder if, like, yeah the instant connection we have to everyone's opinions and and stories can lead us to make those
2: conclusions when they don't actually need to be made all the time. And the answer is yes. And, and the, you know, diving into it a little more is we don't talk enough and, and I'm glad you guys are having this conversation because we don't talk enough in the entrepreneurial space about how mentally challenging it actually is. Uh, Like for those of, for those that are really in it and are like, I'm in it, I'm doing it. And they're, they're committed there's not enough conversation about it and it's getting better. Uh, But I mean, the suicide rate among entrepreneurs is ridiculously high. The expectations that we set towards ourselves, again, going back to the word success, are ridiculous. And we, like you said, we also are so quick to say, whether positive or negatively, that we are like that video we saw in whatever category we want to pigeonhole it in it doesn't matter mental illness successful entrepreneur business whatever it might be and and again it's it's because of our innate human biological desire to belong and be part of a community that we we now have this like absurd amount of communities in which we can join and it does two things number one we become codependent on labels and those labels become a definition of our existence which then become a reality of our existence which which then causes all kinds of problems and the second thing it does is we don't we don't invest we don't invest deeply into ourselves and we don't invest deeply into a community because if it gets hard for ourselves we can be like, well this is fucked up. Like I'm going to go over here to this other community because that seems like more of how I am. Mm-hmm. Even though 6 months ago mm-hmm. I said I was like this, but now I'm more like this. And you start seeing like weird communities start popping up everywhere, right? Like I just saw the other day there's literally like 200,000 people that are following this Instagram account that are it's called cat entrepreneurs. It, it's entrepreneurs who have cats in their home and the cats distract them from doing their work. And I'm like, are you kidding me? This is right? a true like, light That plate seems right like an
0: example of that where it's like, now you tell yourself, well, I can't get my work done because I have a stupid cat in my house. It's like, just fucking go to a coffee right. shop. Like, and then, that's your fault exactly. that you're letting a
2: cat distract you. Right, but and yeah, now you have 200,000 like people example. that are following this account.
0: That's yeah. a good example where I can't really ruffle too many feathers because it's not your cat bugging you is not a mental illness like that. That's a clear example of like, if you identify as somebody who can't work because of your cat, you have just adopted the victim mentality
2: essentially. Exactly. And you be, and you make it, you make it a reality. Wes, what, what is the victim
1: mentality? I I mean, I've been called like I'm playing. I'm people told me like, Andrew, you're playing the victim right now. Um, like what, what is this? Or like what causes, it? Well,
2: you know? It? Yeah. It, the, the reality of the victim mentality is it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a, again, another big term. We're all victim to something at some point in our lives, the victim mentality. So like saying you're playing the victim card is not victim mentality. The victim mentality is using the experiences that have happened to you to stop you from doing what you can do in the world. That that's, In for me, that's the definition of victim. Listen, we are all gonna have things. My favorite bumper sticker that's ever been created, and I hope the guy trademarked it, is shit's going to happen. Like it's it's inevitable that something bad is going to happen in your life. Like you're you're just not gonna run from that. But it's what you do and it's how you react and it's how you you know, take that situation and you either use it to, you either use it to grow yourself or you use it to stop yourself. And, and when somebody takes something that's happened to them negatively, and and then they say, well, I can't be because of this. That's now you're in a victim mentality, being the victim, or you have a victim mindset that can be temporarily, that could be like, you had a bad experience, you're calling it out, you're letting people know, But it's what you do with that becomes the actual, like, that's where you're actually going with it. And so my mantra is very simple. It's, you know, put the victim to bed and wake the hero up instead. It's looking at your life and saying, these things happened to me, but I'm going to react in this way. I'm going to use I'm going to use that to do X, Y, Z with my life. And you can use it to motivate you. You can use it to learn from. You can use it as, a, as an experience, a lesson. But we have a society, again, going back to what I just said, is that something bad happens to you and you're like, well, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to go do this because I can. I'm going to go do this because it's easier. I'm going to switch and now be this. And we see it. They're, they're called the 22-year-old life coaches. It's like, mm-hmm. no. You have got to put in the time, you've got to work yeah. past these issues, you, you have to take them on. And and listen, not all of us have to be good at everything. And, and this country spends so much time talking about weaknesses, because guess what? Weaknesses put us in a, a powerless position, which gives other people power. And it's also insanely profitable. It's insanely profitable to stand on stage and to tell people that because they can't do a viral video on YouTube, they're not going to be successful. So here's my 10 video course on how to make a viral video, and it's only $9.99. That's an easy sales pitch, right? And we've Mm. all seen that sales pitch. Yeah. (laughs) And what ends up happening is the reality is you either aren't good at doing a video, you, you know, or you are. And it's okay. It is so okay if you suck at video. There's a lot of other ways to make money, and I guarantee you there's something incredibly powerful about you as a person, but you're gonna sit there in this victim mentality that you can't do it, yeah.
1: Uh, so I'm, I'm sitting here, and I'm listening to you, and, and I, I agree, I absolutely agree, but I I also have the benefit, and, and Thomas as well, we we did a little bit of research on you, and I'm just trying to imagine uh, the, the perhaps the, the uninitiated listening to him, like, ah, oh, like, this is Wes, like, he's a promotional speaker, you know, it, it, this sounds, like, really tight, and I'm actually, why, as I talk to you, I'm looking at your picture on Skype, and it's like, you with a horse, I'm like, ah, oh, this guy probably has, like, horses and stuff, like, he's, like, ridiculous, but, uh, like, your your life was actually, it didn't, it didn't start with horses, like, it was a little harder than that. Could you give us, like, a little background on, maybe, the pre-West, because, I think it makes uh, what you've done and, and where you are mentally even that more impressive. Yeah,
2: so I'll take everybody to kind of a visual experience here is that I want you guys just to imagine wherever you are driving, running, you know, whatever it is, just imagine yourself in a room that's about eight by 10. So just a small room, white padded, white potted walls, white padded floor, and your only decoration is an indented fluorescent light in the ceiling. This this is an actual experience that I had. And in, in, in that experience, I remember waking up in the fetal position laying on this floor of this room and looking at my hands, and I had dried blood on my hands. And I had, you know, my hair was stuck to my forehead, and as I pushed it away, there was dried blood on my forehead and into my hair. And that night, I had beaten the walls with my hands and my head so hard that I drew blood. And the reason that I was so angry and so vicious against those walls was because of the life that I had already endured as a little seven-and-a-half-year-old boy. My father and my mother, they got together with some pretty you know, crazy experiences of their own. My mom was a teenage runaway. My dad just gotten out of prison. So just imagine the chaos that they were in And I was conceived, and it it, it wasn't a planned thing. And even before I came to this planet, there was trauma in my life. There was trauma during the pregnancy. There were things happening. And when I finally came here to this planet, uh, I spent a lot of time in and out of the hospital. And I spent a lot of time because of something called failure to thrive, which for those of you that don't know what that is, it's this basically a human being's inability to get their basic necessities met so we're talking food uh, hygiene all of that and so it's a completely controllable scenario uh, but you have to have parents who are willing and wanting to make that not happen to their child and so after about a year of going in and out and dealing with this my biological father decided that he he had better options and so he left which then gave my mother kind of this position of and and they had had another child uh, my younger brother, who was mentally handicapped, and they were in this position of desperation. She was in this position of desperation. You know, dad's gone, she's in this situation. So she remarried very quickly. And the man that she chose was a very evil guy. I don't love you killing know, people like that, but he was. And for the next seven years of my life, I would be abused in ways that or not appropriate even for a show of this caliber to kind of dive into physical, emotional, sexual. Many, many times I would wake up in the middle of the night in cold sweats wondering if I was going to be molested next as I watched my little sister and little brother being molested in in the bed next to me. And this was my childhood. This was my life. This is what happened. So how I got into that room was my mother. uh, She... She was just as, you know, unprepared at being a mother as my father was. And she got to a point where what I was going through and the the fits that I was having and, and all the things I was doing as a child to cope with with everything happening in the home became too much for her. And so she left and and I was now without a mother or a father. And that goes through a whole nother cycle of in and outs of different places and and then I became labeled and I was medicated and I went through all kinds of different things and all kinds of testing and And the night before I was put into, or the day before I was put into this room, I was told that the medical reports came back, the psychiatric reports came back, that I was, for lack of a better word, worthless. They used a bunch more fancy terminology than that, but... I was never going to have a steady job. I was never going to be an asset to society. I was never going to have a normal life. I'd never be a father. I'd never any of the normal things that we all think of. I was too broken. I'd had too much stress in my life. I was going to be dealing with, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder. And, you know, we use those terms really kind of like we throw them out there. But I mean, really understanding uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, it's, it's having flashbacks of situations in your current state of of existence. And it takes you back to that state of existence and it becomes incredibly overtaking. And you you become hallucinogenic and you just go through this whole process where you think something's happening. And I went through that. And so I was labeled with all these dysfunctions and all these labels and all these things. And and spent my entire teenage life, you know, going in and out of, of stable relationships with family and family is the wrong word, with people who wanted to take care of me and wanted to be there. And I actually endured abuse until I was 17 years old. And it was a crazy ride. It was, a, there's so many stories inside of the stories that I'm just kind of sharing here. There's so many experiences that happened. And the thing that changed everything, the thing that was the, the you know, the tipping point for my life was one person one person who I call mom, she's not my biological mom, she's my hero and she believed in me not in not necessarily in my actions or things that were going on because there were a lot of things I was doing. I may or may not have burnt some buildings down. It has never been proven. but uh, you know I was a very troubled little boy. I had a lot of anger. I had a lot going on inside of myself and but she believed in my potential. she believed in what I could become and she never gave up on me. And even though she made mistakes, and she brought uh, a man into our lives that was a really, really good con artist, and and we spent a lot of time dealing with that, and and the abuse that he gave to both of us, and there's a whole crazy story of that. But she never gave up on me. In fact, to this day, she she's you know, like I said, I call her mother. But uh, she believed in me. And at 17, I started taking a lot of control, and I started researching the human body and the mind, and just a bunch of. St- stuff happened. And, and, you know, fast forward now, my definition of success, my definition of what is it to be successful? And Let me tell you, I've, I've played with every definition there is. I've had nine cars. I've had the mansion. I've had the rooms, you know, the house with the rooms that you don't even walk into. I've had I've had all of that. I've done all of that. I've experienced all of it. And and it never was fulfilling. It was I was always chasing the next million dollar contract. I was always chasing the next big thing. And when I took my break and I took my m- Moment of just centering myself and saying, What is success, Wes Chapman? What does it mean to you? The thing that rang in my head over and over again you'll never be a father. I wanted to create something different. I wanted people to have pride in the last name Chapman. I have 17 brothers and sisters now. I mean, I haven't met half of them, um, but, and there may be more than that. I have no idea, but like there are so many. People And so many offspring, if you will, of my father and mother out there that some are doing okay and some aren't. And I was tired of seeing my name, my family name being drugged through the mud. And I wanted, I wanted more than anything to be proud of being a Chapman. I wanted to create that and I wanted to be a father. And if that could happen, I could be successful. And so I had no definition of what is it like to be a father. I mean, come on. I, I mean, my definition of being a father is stick around till you know you, your child is one, and then you know, peace out. Like that was my definition. I didn't know what it meant. So I did a lot of just like I did when I didn't know, you know, how to start a business. I did a lot of research, talked to a lot of people, and realized that to be a great father, you have to give time, and to give time, you have to have it, and that means that you know. I'm not going to be in a boardroom 24 seven, which means definition and my metrics of success completely changed. And so now, going all the way to this picture that you're seeing on my Skype of you know me walking with Athena, our horse. Um, I have several horses. You know, you're right. I've, I, I live up in the middle of nowhere where most people would never dream of living. I live 45 minutes from the Canadian border in a little town in Idaho, and you know we have acreage. And I'm sitting right now talking to you in my cabin on a satellite. You know, I've, I'm watching the moose right now drink out of the pond, and you know my horses are are two acres away, and I just gave my my horse a bath five minutes before our interview, and my son's coming home, and you know we had football practice yesterday, and my daughter's you know got her her band practice, and I'm involved in all of that, and I'm there for them, and that to me is it. That's success. That's that's what I deemed a success, and the only metrics that I care about. Are are my kids happy? Are they proud? Is my son proud to say my name is Peyton Chapman? Or is he scared? Like I was and changed my name six different times throughout my, you know, schooling experience. Like I that was it. And that was the moment that I grounded. And now this like talking on podcasts and speaking all over the country and, and working with youth and doing all it's just it's a byproduct of what my goal was. And and now I see the desperation that we have and, and the the chaos that's existing in this world and how our priorities are so fucked up. And and it's it's driving me to to allow other people to stop saying, wow, Wes, I love the life you live, and to say, Wow, Wes, I you know, like I'm living the life you live because I chose it. And and maybe this isn't the life, like maybe you don't want that, that's fine, but just I'm tired of people talking. About living their dream life, I want people to actually take the actions and and create the execution to create the life you want. And I don't care what it is. I don't care if you want to be a, you know, a freaking playboy for the rest of your life. I don't care. I mean, as long as you're not hurting people, I don't care if you want to, you know, settle down and have a family. It, it doesn't matter to me personally what your definition of the dream life is. But I'm just tired of everybody coming up with excuses as to why they can't live it. Or coming up with excuses as to why they're not as good as a XYZ person. And I and I've been there. I've compared myself to everybody. I've had some of the greatest mentors in the world, from you know, Stephen R. Covey to Bill Gates to, you know, the list goes on and on. Like I I've had the privilege of being around some really powerful people because of the actions that I took in my life. And like I said in the beginning of this interview, what's just fascinated me was if they could all do it over again, like 99% of the people that I've had this conversation with have said the same thing. If I could do it all over again, I would change the way in which I viewed the metrics. I would change the pressure I put on myself and I would just be comfortable with who I am and create my success based around that. And I would have saved years in the timeline and years in the preparation. However, a lot of those guys are stuck in a place where they necessarily can't go and talk about that because they've got PR and companies and you know they do have all these things that they've created and I get it. Mm. But we do have some great people coming out and talking a lot more. Gary Vaynerchuk's a dear friend of mine. I love how much emphasis he's putting on certain topics. I think he's one of the rare entrepreneurs that talks about, you know, suicide inside of our community. Like these are real topics and and we're not talking about them enough. And we're just all alone in this battle. When in the reality is we're all together in this battle. And if we could just be a little bit more honest and vulnerable and real, it just be it'd be so much more fun. Like that's this is your one life. Do you want to remember it as a stressed out fuck fest, or do you want to remember it as like, you know, this insanely awesome experience that you just did so many great things that fulfilled you as a person? And oh, by the way, yeah, your bank account your bank account wasn't suffering. And, and perspective is everything. Anyone listening to this podcast, your bank account's not suffering. Like, shut the fuck up. Like, you're listening to this podcast. I don't care. Like, there are people in countries. There's people in this country. There's people in this country. One in five children in this country, in the great country of the United States of America, one in five kids go hungry every single day. There are kids who, if they don't go to school, they don't have food. Like, Saturday, Sunday sucks for those kids because they don't eat. Like, there are people who are in much worse shape than you are, and and yet you're, like, victiming yourself into this, like, I don't have it or I'm not as rich as XYZ person. And really, like, do you need it? Like, do you need the next Ashton Martin? They're cool cars, don't get me wrong, but, like, do you need it? Or do you need to feel happy inside and fulfilled? And, and I mean, we could go on and, like, I could ramble forever, but the, the reality of it is... Is that my life is proof that whatever the fuck your excuse is, like stop it and just figure out what you want and and go after it. It doesn't mean I didn't heal from the things that I went through. It doesn't mean they're not real. It doesn't mean that I didn't go through immense amount of pain to to you know to address my demons from my past. Of course, but my past doesn't define who I am. My past isn't a roadmap for my future. My past simply refines who I can be. I'm the I'm the factor that decides what the roadmap is and and anyone listening is the exact same thing and all I'm my whole mission now is just to share my story with as much open and vulnerability as I can so that everybody can just shut the fuck up and go out and create the life that they want to live and realize that they're this is their one life you're a freaking mathematical anomaly you're one in a 400 billion or whatever it is chance of existing like this is your life. And if you're listening to it in the United States of America, you're even more of a mathematical anomaly that you weren't born in India or China. Like, come on. And I'm not dissing those countries. I'm just saying, like, we have it pretty good over here. Stop complaining. Stop giving a crap what Trump does or what Obama does or what whoever else does. Just go and create and be you and, and live your life. And and that is where you're going to find success and happiness. That's where you're going to find the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. It's it's not in a frickin' trying to emulate XYZ, you know, success. It's just not. Mm-hmm.
0: So, uh, I mean, I, I resonate so much with that. I guess the one question I want to ask you, because you said that there was one person who helped you to turn your life around, the person that you call your hero and your mother, I would imagine that for every person listening to this podcast who feels like they are helpless or they, you know, they're living in the victim mentality. There's another person and a lot of the same people that's probably overlap who knows that they have the potential to be that hero for somebody else in their lives, but they aren't exactly sure how to go about it. So maybe you can recount some of the things that your mother did for you. Um, maybe some of the the ways that she either pushed you or encouraged you or told you to knock your crap off. I don't know. Like what exactly did she do to help you start to make these changes?
2: Patience. That's the first, first thing I tell anybody if you're in that situation is you got to be patient. I was a 12 year old boy who you couldn't touch. You couldn't touch me. I would not let you touch me. You couldn't hug me. You couldn't hold me. You couldn't, come up behind me and give me a hug. You couldn't do anything. And she had to go to holding classes. Sounds crazy. She had to go to holding classes to learn how to hold somebody who had gone through what I went through. I would literally pin myself in a corner. And I mean, I, mean, I'm, I remember one time I took a hot iron and she wanted to give me a hug and I grabbed the iron and used it as a defense mechanism and sat in a corner and would not allow her to come near me. To, to deal with something like that you have to have extreme amounts of patience. But even to help your friend, you have to have patience. And you have to realize they aren't gonna, they're not ready to make a change, they're not ready to make a choice, they're not ready to do these things. There's so many psychological steps that have to happen before that happens. And, and like I said, I've now spent, you know, almost 20 plus years researching the mind and I've helped over 65,000 children and thousands of adults like break through their shit. And and it's a I, I use some formulas. I have a twelve-step program formula system. You know, like we all do. We have you have to create some kind of organization to the chaos. And the first thing you just, if you're trying to help somebody, that you have to realize is the making a choice and changing step. That's like step eight. Like that's not. I, I say a lot of that on my podcast. And there's some viral podcasts of me, and I talk about you know make one choice and all that stuff. And yes, for the, like the fluffy stuff for sure. You do have to make a choice. But if we're talking about like you're trying to really help somebody who's going through a dark situation in their lives, you just have to realize that there's so many layers that you have to peel back before you can even get into there. And so patience is something that I always tell people. Secondarily, if you're not trained and you don't know and it's a severe situation, never go in alone. Even it doesn't mean that you have to like bring somebody along with you, but you better have somebody outside of the situation that knows what you're trying to do. That can help pull you out in case something happens, and I mean that both like literally or metaphorically. Like you might get too close to the situation emotionally, and you need to have, you know, somebody over there who can be kind of a, a grounding station for you, and they know what's happening and what you're trying to do. If it's not serious and you're just trying to motivate a friend, again, patience and 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 a real simple trick. If it's like motivating a friend or helping somebody or yourself, disconnect from everything that's your normal. Disconnect that's from everything that's your normal. If you live in like a big city and you don't go, go out in the country, go out and just like rent an Airbnb and drive six hours and and just sit there and, and turn off your phone and just think and just be with yourself. Be bored. Like it's okay to be bored. Like I know that everyone in 2017 says like being bored is like a disease. It's not. Being bored is one of the best things you can do because it allows your mind to just relax regenerate think process get your digestive system like everything gets a break and so if you're just like if you have a friend who's just too hyper and too hyper stimulated destimulate them destimulate yourself but patience is the biggest thing And, and be patient with yourself like this whole bullshit of of habits are formed in 27 days and you can change this like that's cute and that's really great for the postcard and for the book series that's just not real Like it's just not it it, there's there's zero 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 concept that if you're 27 years old in 27 days you can change shit like it just doesn't work that way you've got layers of of situational data of situational things that have happened can you start trajectorying in a new way of course you can but the definition of habit has been misconstrued and, and habit is an unconscious behavior. Like to to have something implanted in your subconscious and, and, and having it be like something that you just do because, like that doesn't happen in twenty-seven days. That's the definition of a habit. Can you make pattern disruptions and start trajectorying yourself? Yes. I argue that it takes seven years for you to create habits. And that's not like, oh, I'm gonna deflate your bubble. It's it's to tell you to be patient. Like things take time. And, and we watch things happen in our society like overnight, like Justin Bieber. Boom, he's a sensation. He's a hit. Like they just found him on YouTube after his first video and now he's this. No, like it. that's not what happened. That's the story. That's not what happened. There's an immense amount of work that happened. There's an immense amount of stuff that went on behind the scenes. There were sacrifices made and and everybody has that but that's not a cool story because that story doesn't invoke like people to go buy something. Like if I were to tell you, listen, if you're starting a business and you're a young entrepreneur, like just realize that for this, for anywhere from three to 10 years, your life is going to suck. It's going to be up and down. Some days, you're going to be on top of the world, and the next day, you're going to be crushed. Some days, everything's going to be awesome, and you're going to be doing everything right. Other days, the IRS is going to knock on your door and say, you forgot to fill out these three forms, and you now owe $100,000, or else you're going to spend three years in prison. Like. This shit's real and like these things happen and this stuff is going to happen to you. And if I if I if you tried to sell that, no one's buying that. No one's signing up for 3 years to 10 years of hell. Like nobody. But if you just realize that yeah, if you put in the 48 or the 56 or the 120 months into something that you love doing and you just continue moving forward and you focus on forward trajectory, you have a really good shot of being able to like have a life that's amazing and and not be tied down to a desk but then again you may not like you may be working really hard for the rest of your life and barely quote unquote making it that stuff doesn't sell so of course like the idea of like instant gratification and instant whatever is amazing and we see people come from nowhere to become something and we just think like oh why am i not that person be patient with yourself be patient with other people
1: I, I
0: feel like uh that <laughs> fuck. <laughs> I don't know if we need any more tips or tactics or anything beyond that. You know, I feel I feel like we went into this with the idea that it might be a financial perspective on the victim mentality, but in reality it's it's an underlying problem mm-hmm. and I think that your story and just that simple truth of that you need to be patient.
1: So I, I space kid at it for a second. Um, and I, I was just thinking as you were talking, it resonated with me because I think that uh, intelligence in general has has a very low correlation with success or or any of the things that that people think that maybe like people hating you or thinking that you're a know-it-all is a high correlation with. I think a lot more has to do with grit and just doing it. Kind of like you said, uh, you know, if it's like this fifty-six months that are going to suck. You almost have to enter it blissfully unaware, you know, or, or not you, or, or I don't know, uh, and truck through it. And the, the ones who succeed are the ones who just didn't yeah, give grit
2: up. Grit is something. I mean, that's what I, as a father, the only thing I really care about my children learning from me. If I mean, I, there's a lot, and I guess I should preface that. But like, if I, if someone said you can only teach your child one thing, what would it be? Grit, hands down. The build the ability to withstand the ups and downs and to be able the ability to like understand to a clarity of like perfection that failure is is not like we we say this whole thing of like failure is part of the journey yeah it is that's cute but like failure is failure and and that's just how it is and that's okay because the only time failure is going to destroy you is if you decide not to get back up But let's stop being cute about failure. Like if you fail, you failed. Done. Okay? Like there's nothing else. You failed. I'm not going to give you some quote and make you feel good about yourself. Like you fucking failed. That's okay. Get back up. And don't do that again. Like don't make that same mistake again and don't use it as like a justification for your journey of being an entrepreneur. We're, you're going to fail whether you're an entrepreneur or whether you're a father or whether you're a husband or whether you're freaking training a horse. Like failure is just part of living and, and to try to make it anything other than what it is, is obnoxious and, and ridiculous. And so just don't don't give up have the grit to withstand those different things. And in today's world, we are bombarded by conversation that we're not good enough. And it's not like direct conversation like, hey, Thomas, you're not good enough. Like, it's not direct. It's indirect by visual stimulization. It's indirect by companies. I sat in the boardroom with some of the biggest companies in the world as they planned their marketing tactics and as they researched and spent billions of dollars understanding human psychology to realize that the best way to sell a product is to make a human being feel that they do not have everything they need if they don't have their product. And to put it in really basic terminology, if we can make an individual feel worthless without our product, then and our product is the pill for worth… We have a buying community. We can create and sell a product at whatever price point we want. And, and if you look around, you don't see a lot of companies saying, hey, you're an awesome person and you're absolutely amazing and you really don't need our product, but it's kind of cool and you should think about having it in your life. Hell no. Like everything is about like, oh, you don't have friends? Drink Coca-Cola because then you'll enjoy your life. Like, look at all these beautiful people sitting around drinking Coke. Isn't it amazing? Doesn't your life suck? You're not really having... You don't have all these pretty friends, do you? It's because you don't have Coca-Cola. Enjoy your life. Like, I'm belittling it, but that's the psychology behind the ad. It's, it's, it's just the... Beer is the same way. Like, do you ever see, like, people sitting around drinking beer being like, hey, dude, what's up? Not much. What are you doing? Like, yeah, just sitting here. No, it's like... How many yeah. people have had the football game with their friends drinking beer that looks like what Budweiser plays during halftime of your, your favorite game? I have I mean, I'm a real go-getter fan. Like, yes, I've broken a TV because freaking Brett Favre threw a damn interception in the championship game against the Saints. Uh, like, I literally have my passion moments, but I've never had a group of friends, like, laughing and, like, you know, everybody's like perfect and everything's just awesome. And we're just, you know, laughing at the game. No, but that's the scenario and that's the, the conversation. So we are bombarded daily by we're not good enough conversation. And the reality is, is we are. And the metrics of success, they, they are dependent on you, not wall street, not somebody else. Like what do you deem as success and be realistic in that? Like, Stop focusing on the shit you're not good at and double down on the stuff you are. I guarantee you, I guarantee you the majority of people listening to this podcast or or this content, however you guys are going to distribute it, I guarantee you that the majority of people have spent more time trying to fix the things they're not good at than investing their time in the things they are. And I guarantee you it's because somebody along yeah. the way told you that you need to do this to become this. No, stop putting 20,000 hours into the stuff you suck at and start putting 10,000 hours into the stuff you're awesome at and watch your bank account do this really cool thing called cha-ching.
0: I often don't know what I'm not good at and what I am good at. I'm sure I'm <laughs> sure there aren't, yeah. <laughs> I, just, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I just don't listen <laughs> to, to Tell me I'm bad <laughs>
1: I'll, I'll spare. Well, no, no,
0: I, I know there's things I'm not good at. I just like when I think about like <laughs> what what am I good at versus what like what are the things I do that I spend all my time on that I'm not good at. I don't know. Maybe I just need to ask people that more often. Like, hey, Andrew, what do I suck at? You know, you actually that's at a really good way. That, that's a you different know? episode.
1: <laughs> it, it's weird. Like, uh, listen, my matters is the umpteenth million thing that I tried. It just happened to be like the. The culmination of my nerdiness and like not having to show my face and talking about like numbers, but I, I think like I don't know. Yeah, you just got. I I I pretty much resonate with everything you had to say, Wes. I was just like, <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. I'm change my life. It's you know, it's just funny. Is I've had a very complicated life. Like, and I'm not perfect. I've made mistakes, and look, I have a journey. I'm I'm in the process of writing my book and. And uh, I think I'm at, like, page 200 and something, and I'm to the age of 13. Like, there's a lot to my story. There's a lot of things and probably a lot of holes that people are trying to figure out from my little synopsis there. But the reality is I, I, had, I had a very, very traumatic childhood. I went through a lot of shit. I-, I endured a lot. And it was incredibly complex. And there was a lot of complex things that people threw at me to try to create a solution. I was on almost 25 medications every day of my life until the age of 16, 17 years old, like just, just that alone was insanely complex. What, you know, and and what was so fascinating is, is that once I was able to just kind of release and peel back and, and dive into this, it became so simple. It became so simple. And the overcomplexity was again, somebody or even myself, but a lot of it was external, somebody trying to just prove that they had a they had the right answer and if it was too simple then somehow that like affected their brain cells and and made people not think that they were smart and and the and, and and I get that like if i were to tell you that we can solve all the world's problems by everybody just understanding their inherent worth like what their worth is to the planet we could solve everything like i firmly believe that everything is solved if everybody could just understand that they have an inherent worth and that their value is is amazing and they can give to the world. That sounds so like hippie and so like I'm I just smoked eight joints and we're sitting in a 420 circle. Like, and I get that and I understand that. And I'm not, you know, I'm just putting it out there for the sake of like what people are thinking in in some aspect of this. But the reality of life is it's it's complex, but it's simplistic. It's complex of all the situations that are going to happen to you, but how you react to it is so simplistic. And I'm not perfect at it. I've been practicing this and I work on it and I can handle a ridiculous amount of stress and I sit down with families who are going through hell. I've heard every kind of story you can possibly imagine. I mean, I've sat down with kids who've been raped for 12 years of their lives and I've sat down with kids who are, you know, cutting and mutilating themselves and they're telling me, I mean, I've seen the dark side of humanity to like the degrees that would terrify most people uh, and, and create, you know, places they could never come back from. I've been there and I've seen people take simplistic actions out of that complex and craziness and the trajectory of their lives are forever changed. And so, I want people to realize that while everything we may have talked about doesn't maybe make sense to like, you know, money or whatever, I think it does. I think it 100% relates, but I think they may be like, wow, that's just so simple and that worked there, but, you know, my issues are this or that. I'm just going to tell you, like, stop overcomplicating this. You do not have to be think, you don't have to find like some, you know, smart new 2017 way of dealing with stuff. You just have to realize that, like, it's just about, Changing a few little things, getting your perspective grounded, and and focusing on just understanding who you are, and and putting that out into the world, and just that alone is going to just change everything for you. It just is. Just everything's going to change. You're going to have more money. You're going to have better sex. You're going to have bigger arms. You're going to you know be skinnier. Like every dream you want is going to happen if you just simplify shit and just focus on what really matters. And I'm not being facetious about all that. I mean it. Because your whole life is going to change. Your whole perspective of life is going to change. You're going to want to focus on your health. You're going to want to focus on your relationship. You're going to want to focus on on doing what, what drives you. Because you're going to have a newfound purpose in life. So you're going to have you know the skinnier waist and the better sex life and the better bank account. Like That stuff's going to happen because for the first time in your life, you're gonna want it at a level that resonates with you. You're not gonna desire it and try to replicate what somebody else has done. It's just, it's simple.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It you're gonna care about it and you're gonna have the mentality that enables you to do those things. Wes, it's been awesome talking to you. Um, you said you're 200 pages into your book, so I assume that it is not done yet. But if people wanna find out what you're doing connect with you learn more where should they go on the internet
2: well google works um (laughs) i was told actually by a guy that yeah that i have like 2500 videos out there which is just crazy um uh there's been a lot of content that i didn't even know that people were recording so that's fun um but uh Anyway, you can just Google me, but you know the work that we're doing with The Human Project, if you're interested or if you have a heart for understanding children who are in dysfunctional situations, you can check out ahumanproject.com. If some of this stuff has resonated with you, um, the my team has twisted my arm and I'm actually now pretty excited about it, but I've launched a... Uh, online community of of individuals who just want to create a better life. Individuals, and they range from everyone all over the world. Literally, just launched this like last month. It's called Wake the Hero. It's it's just a concept of of well, it's not a concept. It's a principle of living your life um, with a WTH, you know, hashtag. Just wake the hero and really just understanding where you can go and how you can create it. I bring a lot of. My friends and and you know people who are respected uh, in there from you know Doctor Drew to Gary to to just a bunch of other people that are, are great names, great human beings. Um, I'm very picky about who we bring into the community. Sometimes they won't have a big name, but they freaking know what they're talking about. Um, we've had Navy SEALs, all kinds of stuff. So it's just about you know building a community of like-minded individuals who want to grow themselves on a level that they've never thought possible or are looking for ways to get out of their own way. And so that's called wake the hero, it's wakethehero.com. Um but yeah, I mean my heart resonates with trying to get our youth of today to wake up and not have to live through some of the pain that we we went through and they're dealing with a lot more distraction than we can ever imagine and it's you know it's not boding well statistically. Like we're we're really going the wrong way when it comes to teen suicide and teen depression and teen mutilation like all those numbers are going in directions that we don't want to see happen and if you're a parent i'm just going to be really blunt with you you your kids might be good but the likelihood of them running into a child who's experienced things is 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 it used to be like 60 70% you're now getting very close to the nine, the high 90s of your daughter dating a boy who's you know, dealing with an alcoholic father and abuse, your your son's dealing with a, uh, a young lady who was molested. Like it's sad, but it's just getting to that point. And so it's time for us to bond together and solve these problems and stop sugarcoating them and stop allowing, you know, the wrong conversations to happen and start. Even our children, they've got to wake up. They've got to take ownership of their decisions in their lives, regardless of their situations.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I really resonated with what you said earlier. Just if you're going to be the hero in someone else's life, you have to start with patience. That's going to be very helpful for me, and I'm sure that it's going to be very helpful for a lot of the people listening to this as well. And one thing I'll say is... Oh, go
2: ahead. Yeah, let let me say this one thing. I know I'm going over your time, but it's important for this to understand is the definition of hero means strength for two. So if you want to be a hero, you better make sure your cup is flowing over. So take care of yourself in every quadrant of life before you start going out and trying to rescue and help people because it can drag you down very quickly. So remember, the definition of hero is strength for two. It's just just something to think about before you go out there and and overstress yourself about things. Take care of you first. That's okay because being selfish now means you can be selfless for. For a lot longer period of your life.
0: Yeah. It's like those airline masks. Anyway, yes, Wes, same concept. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been an awesome episode. Uh, we will have links to everything you mentioned in the show notes for this episode. So if people are listening while driving. They can go check that out later. Click on those links and check out the community, check out A Human Project, all of those other things. Uh, and to everyone listening, thanks for hanging out with us today. As always, you can find our favorite resources for managing your money, improving your life in several different ways and our favorite books at com slash resources. And as always, the show notes are at com slash show. So thanks again, Wes, for coming on the show and uh, we will see the rest of you guys all in next week's episode. Later, man. Later, dude.